Welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week we're on with Dan Osborne, pastor of our Forest Glen Church, and talking about what got cut from his sermon on Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 40, which is the account of Pentecost. And we also get to discuss a listener question as well. And if you have any questions, we'd love for you to go ahead and send those in, and you can do so by sending them to podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org. That's podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org. Go ahead and send those in. We'd love to see what you're wanting to hear more about. So let's get started. I'm Trevor Lovell, and this is The Pastor's Cut with Dan Osborne. All right, Dan, great to have you with us today. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, thanks for having me again, Trev. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it, man. So a um, little bit of an intro question here, just to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, what I want to ask is, what's something for you? I think I think a lot of times we, um, you know, as a pastor, we kind of look at this from the perspective of a pastor, but but just more so as a just someone who's a follower of Jesus, right? What's something that God has been teaching you kind of over the course of this this past year um, from that perspective? Oh, uh, a lot. Um, I think, you know, any, anyone who's kind of uh, knows some of the story of what Courtney and I have been working through uh, in the last year, um, particularly with foster care. You know, there's just a lot of there's a lot of conversations that the two of us are having right now. Um, but I think particularly from the uh, angle of uh, being a pastor right now, what's been so hard uh, in this last season is it felt like at any given moment you were about to make a decision that would very much frustrate about 50 percent of people. Uh, and it didn't matter wh- which decision it was. Uh, and, and so it was like constantly dealing with this this question of like trying to want to be a people pleaser. And man, I did not realize that for myself, I didn't realize how much stock I put in the opinion of other people. You know, and there's certain people that I know who are very close to me. Uh, and, you know, I'm grateful for the relationship that they that I have with them. But it can be really hard when you get, you know, kind of harsh feedback, even if it's good, right and true from people who are close to you. And it felt like this season uh, there was a lot of that. And I had never recognized how much I had been uh, placing, how much stock I've been placing in the opinions of others for myself. And it's it's a poison if it goes unchecked. You know, because, um, you know, like the, the biblical concept of the fear of man is is huge and is real um, and not really thinking much about how uh, God sees uh, us, how, how we find a uh, identity rooted in something far deeper than the opinions of other people. And so try, trying to learn how to rest in that has been a big thing for me personally over the last year. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Um, Dan, and, and I really, I appreciated your message this, uh, this past week. Um, uh, like the way you broke it down. Pentecost is, Pentecost is, is always difficult to like preach or, or teach or write on whatever you're doing with it because there's almost so much packed into it. It's such a dense story in terms yeah. of like what's happening with it, kind of the biblical layers, but I thought you handled it really well. Um, preaching at, at Forest Glen. And could you could you kind of just give us a quick recap of your sermon? Yeah, it was. I, I think Pentecost for for Christians, this is a, a message and a story that is really well known. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I think other than the uh, maybe whether we recognize this or not, other than the resurrection, I mean, this is like a the climactic moment in the Christian story, the biblical storyline, right, where God finally gives 
uh, the Spirit to dwell within his people. This is the culmination of the new covenant uh, that Jeremiah talks about. Like all of the prophets are pointing forward towards this moment, uh, which is, you know, just just incredible. And yet it becomes a normal part of the Christian story uh, that as believers, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so how I tried to approach this message was just very cleanly moving through uh, what happens here. So I spent a lot of time talking about uh, the event of Pentecost, what actually happened. And there's some, you know, there's some uh, cultural markers just in the first eight verses that I think are really important for us that we could miss that Luke's audience would have been, uh, you know, they would have been fully aware of what was happening and why it was happening there. So questions about like, what, what even is Pentecost? Cause it's not a Christian holiday. It's, it's something that stretches back into the old Testament. What did it mean then when acts was written? Um, uh, after that, talking about the event, we went through, uh, went through the meaning of Pentecost and this is Peter's sermon, uh, that he begins to preach right after the event, after people are speaking in, in the different languages, right? And I, I kind of boiled down the meaning of Pentecost uh, to the fact that God now uses his people by the Holy Spirit uh, to tell his story rather than our own stories. We we highlight God's story, not not our own stories uh, anymore. And so that's that is where I boiled down the meaning of Pentecost. And then we looked at the application of what does it now mean for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How does that inform the way we engage uh, in the world around us? So three quick moves. Uh, it's a lot lot of text to cover, 41 verses uh, in about yeah. 30, 30 minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I went with it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Man. And that piece that in, kind of in your in your second point, your middle point on the, the meaning of Pentecost, where you dug down into that, the piece on our stories, right? That yeah. Pentecost should change the way that we understand our stories. And um, yeah, I thought I thought you had a really good piece when when you kind of dug into that in the way that our tendency can kind of be the other direction. And uh, could you yeah. could you just kind of share a little bit about that here? Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. You go back into the event of Pentecost, what's happening, and it's uh, the the Holy Spirit is using the apostles. Uh, empowering them to speak in tongues and they're preaching what about who God is, what God is like, what God has done. Uh, and all the people are hearing that in their own story, right? And they, they are being, uh, they're given the gift of signs and wonders, uh, that, you know, these signs and wonders attest back to God himself, right? They point back to the creator, the sustainer of everything. And that's actually the pattern that you see uh, later on in the book of Acts, that people are going to be given the gift to do signs, wonders, miraculous things, so that it points back to to God. Um, and what I tried to draw out is that, you know, we, we do not think of our we, we don't think of our own stories in that way very much. We're like, we don't think about the Holy Spirit uh, filling us, empowering us to escalate and highlight God's story. We want it, we want things to showcase our own stories. And it's very subtle the way that that happens, right? So I talked about Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok. All of these things are, are almost explicitly designed to be digital representations of ourselves uh, in front of way more people than we'd ever have uh, physical relationships with, right? Like we're trying to put ourselves out there. And this is a common idea that I think, you know, Christians are starting to talk more and more about now. Like what image of myself do, do I put online? But it's very, it's real. Like we, we struggle with this idea of wanting to showcase our own stories. And, and I don't think it's as 
you know, overt as, you know, me sitting down wanting to create a profile uh, and only put stuff on my Facebook profile or, you know, tweet things that make me look good. I don't think it's that overt. You, you only begin to see it when someone else's story starts to get elevated above your own. Right. So I use the example of like, why, why is there something that is, uh, frustrating, right? Like Trev, you, you and I are really, really close friends, right? Why is, why is it that when you tell me you, you're publishing works, which by the way, I hope your listeners know that, 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 <laughs> yeah, you're going to be a published author soon. Um, why is my first response sometimes a jealousy instead of a celebration? It's because there's like, I, I want that to be me, right? And it, it works on that level. I think it works on, uh, you know, it, it, bro, this works out in our, in our salvation stories, right? I mean, think about how we, we even compare like my conversion story with someone else's conversion story. Like they have some miraculous, like pulled out of uh, a life of drug, sex, alcohol, and now they're doing this like crazy thing for the Lord. And I look at my story and I'm like, yeah, what kind of rebellious middle school mischief was I getting into? Like I didn't come from this. <laughs> right. Right. And, but, yeah. but then I think, I, I think about my own conversion story differently. Like it's not as good as somebody else's story uh, or how God is using me is different from how God is using them. And like we compare these things as if that's the point at all, right? Like we, we miss the fact that we have been called out of darkness into light, not to showcase my own story, but to showcase God's story. That's what the Holy Spirit is producing in us. And it does not matter. Uh, my, my story is like so much lower on the totem pole compared to God's story. Right. But this, this sucks us into a vortex of wanting to showcase ourselves. It will never end. You, you can never be finished in polishing your image or, you know, doing enough to, to, to be presenting the right way in front of a watching world. You'll never finish that and it will consume you. And yet I think the freedom of Pentecost uh, is that not only are you able to showcase a, a different story, you're, we're actually able to tell a better story yeah. than our own. Yeah, man, that's good. Especially um, kind of like the diagnosis that you're getting into there and how um, it, it's like what you can notice is the way that we respond to the stories of others around us. And that's, yeah, yeah I've, I've absolutely felt that. And then, um, yeah. It's funny, you can feel it in so many different directions too. It's, so many different directions. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that yeah, that was a good piece. That's why I wanted you to share it here again. So thank you for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So uh getting back, what what got cut from your sermon? Yeah, you know, I think there's there's this this passage on a biblical theological level is incredible incredibly rich. And there's just stuff that you, you, you can't fully dig into, uh, in, in a 30, 35 minute message. I mean, this is, again, like I said, Pentecost is like the culmination of all of what the prophets were pointing forward to. It starts at the, uh, in the upper room, right? With, with Jesus initiating the, the new covenant that's poured out in his blood. Uh, Jeremiah talks about this. Ezekiel talks about this, uh, in chapter 36, how he, like the Lord is going to put his spirit into people, uh, and he's going to be with them. And, and I feel like there's on a, 
like if you look at the whole storyline of the Bible, it is moving to uh, Acts chapter two, right? You think about the even the question of the 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 idea of the the God who is with us, God as Emmanuel. It starts in the garden as he's with, you know, with Adam and Eve, who are then expelled from the garden. Uh, and yet there's a way in which God uh, goes and chooses the people of Israel to be with them, that he's going to be their people. This is what the covenant is supposed to represent that he's making with Israel, which, by the way, Pentecost celebrates the giving of the of the law of the covenant. That's what it was celebrating at the time of Acts. Right. So it's this picture, this celebration of God's presence with his people. Uh, and you go through the prophets, right? They're all talking about how, uh, God's spirit dwells in the temple in Jerusalem. Ezekiel is now point, pointing his finger on the fact that his spirit's going to leave. He's going to depart from his people because they've rejected him. Right. And then, you know, all of a sudden you get into the New Testament with this promise again from Ezekiel that one day he is going to pour out his spirit again. Isaiah 44, he is going to pour out his spirit. Joel chapter two, he is going to pour out his spirit. Uh, it's pointing forward to this day. And all of a sudden here's Jesus who is in the beginning, uh, with God, who then takes on flesh, dwells among us, is with us. Uh, as the new tabernacle, right? And then, then at, after his ascension, seated at the right hand of the Father, now he sends the third person of the Trinity to take up residence within believers now to live in, in, and be with them in their hearts as the new temple. I mean, th- th- this is it. Acts chapter two is the culmination of all of it, all of it, right? And, and, and I said this at the end of the message, like I, I, one of the greatest threats to our personal, uh, discipleship and spiritual growth is that something that should just be, we should constantly be in awe of, like the miraculous becomes normal. And that's how we feel about the Holy Spirit, that it's just, we normalize, we we neuter it and normalize the Holy Spirit instead of recognizing that this is everything. And God now takes residence with, with it. He truly is the with us God. That, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Especially like when you, when you get the contrast with the Old Testament and how, um, just like the restrictions around the presence of God, that there was, you know, the high priest once a year would be able to go in. And, uh, right. But other than that, yeah, there was like, you could get to a certain degree of proximity, but you couldn't, you couldn't just get into the, you couldn't get into the Holy of Holies. And yet, yeah, now it's just a complete reversal of that. That really is profound. How could you possibly have a more intimate relationship with anything else than the Holy Spirit taking up residence within you? Like that, that is a level of that. Yeah. And we don't think about the Holy Spirit in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, there's that relational component to it, right? That we're, um, which I think it's it's interesting, kind of these the relationship between love and mission, right? And what God is doing. That there's on the one hand, the Spirit of God is inside of us and you know dwells inside of us. And there's that's the power that Jesus talks about in, you know, Acts 1 8, you'll be my witnesses, but wait uh, for the power that will come upon you, the Holy Spirit. And yeah, and yeah. so it's like the Spirit of God is the is the power that enables us to engage in the mission of God. Yeah. But then at the same time, you know, something that we've talked about that I think is really interesting is that 
you know, mission at this period and what God is doing is, is like so central to what's happening, uh, in, in reality. And yet at a certain point, the mission is completed, right? And, and there's something grounding the mission of God and, and it's the love of God. And at a certain point, the, the mission is completed and what's left is, is love, right? And, and the intimacy of relationship that we're being drawn into and, it's just interesting how the spirit dwelling inside is both the power for the mission, but then it's it's also what grounds the mission. Yeah, that that proximity, that nearness, that relationship. Yeah, it, it's interesting too. You know this better than I do. That's that touches on the 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 way in which, like even Augustine starts to talk about the Trinity and you know finding personal a a human analogy for the way that the Trinity works and operates. And he lands, like he talks about love and the, like the inner conscience, but, but similar to what you were talking about there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, good stuff. All right, let's jump to our listener question this week. We've, we've got listener a good one. Question. Okay. Listener question. Yep. Okay. So this is what we have for this week. Um, so if I believe the Bible, then does that mean that I need to believe that God created the earth in six days? If I believe the Bible, does that mean that I need to believe that God created the earth in six days, right? So, um, Dan? Yeah, I, I hope you and I can go back and forth in this a little bit. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Yes, it, it does. It does. Without a doubt, it does. <laughs> um, but, but that's because the question's not specific enough. What we don't know is, uh, you know, d- does the... Uh, questioner mean uh, six consecutive 24-hour days or or is there a different kind of definition of day like if you take the Bi- if you take the Bible for what it says there's no way around uh, six days because that, that's what Genesis says the question is what what is meant by days um, and you know are they consecutive are they do they happen at the same time are they the same length? Uh, how could it be 24 hour days? How could it be 24 hour days for the first ones if it's before the sun and moon are created? Like, you know, how does that, how does that work out together? Um, I think that the, the question on creation is, it's just, there are so many different theories and ways you can go, uh, with this question. Uh, you can do, uh, John Lennox has a great book called Seven, I think it's called Seven Days to Divide or Six, Seven days to divide, because uh, obviously in the last the seventh day God rests. Um, but He's got a great work on um, on creation, where He essentially makes the argument that this is not consecutive days, six consecutive days, but but it's possible to read them as twenty four hour days with gaps in between. Uh, he is not the only one who has that. Uh, I'm sure you know of others who take that position. Yeah, interesting, man. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that oh, there's ahead. like there's the the kind of the nuancing what like what what's meant by days and kind of what could happen there and uh, but then there's also you've talked about something with that has to do with the the earth right and specifically yeah. how that word eretz in Hebrew how that's being used in you know the Genesis one and two being part of the uh, you know the five books of Moses and there's yeah. a the word is used in a in a consistent yeah. way could you could you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, this is from John Salhammer. He's got a great book called Genesis Unbound. Uh, Salhammer was a um, just a he's one of those uh, scholars that you just enjoy reading because he takes interesting perspectives on stuff like this. Um, 
his, his big thing is when we read Genesis 1, you have to read it in context of the entire Pentateuch. Uh, no one ever read, no, no one ever had Genesis apart from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's not how, like the, the books of the law were written together. And, you know, what we, what we understand, what we believe at Parks, they're, they're written by Moses on the plains of Moab before, before the people go into the promised land. Right. So you, you read them in context of the entire Pentateuch. And when you do that, some things like you start to get some interesting questions. So, uh, you know, Genesis one, let me just pull up my Bible real quick. Um, when you look at that passage, um, in, in, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, uh, without form and void, uh, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What, what Salhammer says is the, the word for earth, Eretz or Eretz, that Reish, uh, the Hebrew gutturals, um, that is a very specific word that takes on a very specific meaning in the Pentateuch and almost always exclusively refers to the promised land. Um, and what, what he ends up saying is that Genesis 1 is not actually about the creation of the, the entire world. It's about the preparation of the promised land. Uh, and when you think about that thematically through the Pentateuch, that actually makes a lot more sense for uh, preparing the land that God is going to promise for the people. That becomes the prominent theme throughout the rest of the Old Testament. The land uh, is, is huge. This is why uh, in e- even on a whole biblical level, what is restored at the end? You, you have the new heavens, new earth, right? But 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 it's the, the new land, right? There, there's the new Jerusalem, right? That is at the epicenter of, of the land. And so I think when you read this, that word theologically, it opens room for Genesis 1 to be more specifically about the creation of the land. What that does for uh, some other questions is fascinating. So uh, when uh, the way that he would articulate this is uh, there's a... a gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, or Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Uh, and when you talk about, um, when you talk about the creation of, uh, just the land, that starts in Genesis 1 verse 2. Um, but the creation of everything happens in Genesis 1. There could be millions, billions of years between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. So when you ask a question about, you know, dinosaurs, for example, Salhammer's answer, and he talks about this in the book, is that that's, that's not what Genesis 1 is talking about. That it's certainly not in conflict, but that's just, that's beyond the scope of what it's talking about. There's, there's ample opportunity for that to happen. Uh, it kind of focuses in the conversation on the land itself. And he's a lot more nuanced than that. You know, I'm sure anyone listening to this will have more questions about that. You can read it through uh, Genesis Unbound uh, yeah. is, the, is the book. John Salehammer. Yeah. John Salehammer. Yeah. 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 And I feel like uh, there's, there are like a couple of key points. Like you said, there's so many different theories, right, about how to read Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, and kind of what's happening there. And, and I feel like there, there are certain things that there's room for difference of opinion, but there's certain kind of like key points that, um, like God's the creator of everyone and everything, right? That, that, um, kind of foundational truth. And then also yeah. that there is a literal Adam and Eve that were created, that that's yeah. important. Uh, just theologically, when you get into the New Testament, walking through Romans chapter five, Jesus is the new Adam, um, and kind of, 
how we're all impacted being descendants from Adam, that those are two, yeah. those are two key pieces that, that we, we need to hold on to yeah. regardless of our yeah. difference of opinion. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beyond that, there's a lot of freedom to be able to, uh, move through some different, some different theories in, in, uh, in Genesis. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And to some degree, when there's such a, like a difference of opinion, humility is probably a good way to approach it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really would encourage anybody to, to pick up Sal Hammer's book, either, uh, not the meaning of the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch as narrative or Genesis Unbound. He gets into that in both of those. And it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. So you can find them on Amazon. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Dan, it's been great having you. Thanks for being on again. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Trev. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And again, if you've got any questions, we'd love for you to go ahead and send those in. And you can do so by emailing us at podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org. That's podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org. Or just drop in a comment wherever you happen to be listening or watching this. So thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week.